Stephen knows best. I'm just a silly boy. That's not true. I don't know best. I'm a lonely boy. You know best in like 99 out of 100 ways compared to me. That warms my heart. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I'm glad. It is a compliment. <laughs> From a self-proclaimed individual who has been misunderstood his whole life, that is me, self-proclaiming that I've been that. misunderstood my whole life. Yeah. It's good to feel understood and that I actually have been making decent decisions. Yeah. You know, it's good to hear that. Well, it's not specifically the decisions, but your uh, intuition is usually correct. Because there's a difference okay. between... <laughs> Never mind. There's a difference between I'm knowing. hurt now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're doing okay. You're doing okay. Oh, man. Thanks, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> You're a smart guy. <laughs> hey, good effort out there. <laughs> Did you grow up thinking Mountain Dew was beneficial for your health? It's water from the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> for your vitality. Oh, wonderful, wonderful Minari. Minari, Minari, wonderful, wonderful. We're back in the studio doing another podcast. We finally watched Minari. Long awaited. Hotly anticipated. And boy, did it not disappoint. It was fantastic in every way, shape, or form. Perfect in every way. I mean, I can't speak for you, but I think well, we both can. loved it. Yeah. And we both are proclaiming it probably as the best of the bunch. With one film left to see. Still have not seen The Father yet. The Father. The Father. Which is British production well there's brits in it well there's there's brits in it <laughs> there's a lot of brits in the trial is chicago 7 and that's definitely not a british movie not just any brits too it's hopkins and coleman which are like and poots and poots emojin poots i think it's imogen yeah is it <laughs> one more name in my oh today's gonna be rough too <laughs> <laughs> Names are going to be difficult today. Oh, I'll probably let Stephen read them. Wonderful, wonderful Minari. Do you know what Minari is? Yeah, it's uh, like a spice. Not a spice. spice. It's not a spice. It's, it's an herb. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it's an edible plant. I couldn't plant. think of the word. They call it... Um, Minari. <laughs> in Korean culture, it's uh, banchan, which is a side dish, kind of like uh, kimchi and all the other stuff. Mm. If you've ever been to a Korean restaurant or a lot of Asian restaurants they have all these little side dishes or like ginger or something yeah exactly so you can use it as a garnish or an ingredient for cooking but it's also just it can be eaten on its own like a good example would be a celery or a parsley i didn't know what minari was going into this movie i thought it was maybe their last name i thought it was a fish oh okay <laughs> and so i was like okay we're gonna find out what minari is and then when the grandma shows up and she's like rejoicing around minari and the planting of minari i was i immediately googled it yeah me too I had to know. Uh, it is kind of metaphorical as well, which we can talk about later. And after I scrolled down multiple A24 posters of the film Minari, I finally found the herb I was looking for. This is not the herb you're looking for. The dank herb. <laughs> the good herb. I'd love to try it. The angel's lettuce. I think it has a grassy, peppery taste. An oh, sort of like arugula. Yeah, something of that sort. Robust flavor. Arugula is known for its peppery flavor. Anyway, anyway, now that I've <laughs> defined the flavor of arugula. Now that we've broken the eyes. I can hear us losing followers. This is just an intro. <laughs> Minati. This movie was perfect in every way, and we're here to talk about it. Let's do that. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's another A24 film, but it was actually, initially, it was produced by Plan B, which is Brad Pitt's company. Yeah. Which historically has done all kinds of stuff from- I saw he was an executive producer on this. 
Yeah. His company recently has been picking up a lot of smaller films that, or like indie gems that sort of have really diversified their portfolio. They'd produced Moonlight as well as If Beale Street Could Talk. Oh, right. So not just indie films, but films for stuff like, you know, minority representation. So Minority Report. Yes. Steven Spielberg. So it's really cool to see Brad Pitt. In general, it's cool to see Brad Pitt. Yes. Someone of his stature. You could call him the American movie star helping to tell these stories, which is awesome. It is awesome. Which leads me to the next point. This film was made for a extremely small budget, $2 million for an American. That's crazy. Yeah. Even an indie film is very How much small. has it grossed? Uh, at least that. Internationally. Oh, much more. Yeah, it's it's blasting off, especially Even during now. COVID. I know that it was playing at like drive-in theaters and stuff, so I would assume it would have grossed some money. Yeah, and I think as the award stuff rolls through and theaters are just opening again, the film is probably only going to balloon more, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be you know having its own footnote in history, just like Parasite did, especially if it wins. It's like a more polished Peanut Butter Falcon, sort of, as far as like tone. In the Bong Joon-ho interview that I watched with Lee Isaac Chung, he also referenced the other Shia LaBeouf picture A24 did. Honey Boy. Honey Boy. I mean, a lot of these A24 films, these smaller ones, little these intimate character family dramas, they sort of They're, revolve around yeah. the same ideas and themes. They're charming, too. They have, like, yeah. they have a certain charm to them, and I think that's what I'm saying in that comparison. Exactly. Which leads us to the next... Who is it directed by? I'm... Hold on. Who was it directed by? This film was written and directed by Lee Isaac Chung. Who is he? He is, we've been sort of forgetting to do this over the last couple of casts, the little shallow dive into the director's life and his past. Mm. But it's extremely important for this film because this is yeah. a story that is very much the director's story, yeah. Lee Isaac Chung. This is uh, an ode to his own childhood. He was born in Denver, 1978, to Korean immigrants, but he was raised in Arkansas. They moved to the Ozarks shortly after he'd been born. And so that's where all this history comes from. Hmm. More on that in a moment. Chung then went to Yale University to study ecology and biology. It's clear that his upbringing had a pretty profound impact on where his life was headed. But he was exposed to world cinema in his senior year at Yale, and he decided to change his entire life path. And then he went to go study filmmaking at the University of Utah, of all places. Really known for... Mormons. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So he studied there, and world cinema exposed him to a lot of different world cultures. And the first feature he made, actually, in 2007, was about the Rwandan genocide, the aftermath of it, and specifically two young boys from opposite sides of the spectrum, the Tutsis and the Hutu, that sort of their relationship and how they... I don't. I haven't seen it, but from watching the trailer, it gave me City of God vibes. And he actually made that film because he was over there teaching filmmaking for a short while. Hmm. And then from there, he made a few other features, all of them sort of little hidden gems in the indie circuits. That first feature that he did, name I will not even begin to try to pronounce, had a lot of acclaim, but in the next 10 years, he didn't really blow up to the point where he found it to be sustainable for his family as he started to set down his own roots. So fast forward 10 years, and he has to make an ultimatum at this point because he is starting to grow his family, and he decides that he's probably going to give up filmmaking and start teaching because that's more wow. financially sustainable. Wow. And so the last thing he wanted to do before he made that next life change is he was thinking about writing one more script and he decided to do it on, well, it wasn't even a script at first. He just started thinking about 
his own life because he spent his whole life telling other people's stories and then he's decided at this point maybe I should tell my own stories. So he spent an afternoon in a coffee shop, I think, writing down dozens and dozens of little memories from his childhood in Arkansas and his family. And I think at around 80 or so memories, he realized how much story there was to tell. And then he constructed a narrative arc of family and failure and rebirth and all these themes. And he wove his own memories and events from his past into this fictional story. So while this isn't exactly a biopic, like most of this film is true to him. It's true to these events actually happen, like wow. going to church on Sundays and grandma starting a fire. The details are different, but these are his stories. So That's incredible. What yeah. an incredible story. Yeah, so he wrote the script. And, and now he's like nominated for Best Picture. He's probably going to blow up as a director. Yeah, and now he's back in it. <laughs> in fact, on that note, I just realized looking into Lee Isaac Chung that he is, I don't know if this was before or after Minari started getting traction, but he's actually slated right now to helm the adaptation of Your Name. Do you remember Your Name? I mean the live action adaptation. Your Name was uh, the 2016 anime from Japan that was a, oh. an international sensation. Yeah. Oh, I mean, crazy. It, it dominated Japan culturally, but it, it had such an impact that the whole world, it was kind of catching fire. So anyway, they're making a live action adaptation for Your Name, and he's set to direct that, which is insane. Uh, a big deal for him. <laughs> wow, he was about to quit. That's so crazy. Yeah. So he's interesting, and we'll talk some more about him in a little bit, because like we said, this is his story, mm-hmm. essentially. But for the rest of the team, the crew he had working on this thing, the DP for Minari was an Australian bloke, Lachlan Milne, or Milne, I'm not really sure. We're not even to the Korean names yet, and I'm already screwing up. <laughs> but he, he's worked on some other stuff. He worked with Taika Waititi on Hunt for the Wilder People. All right. And you'll like this. He's also recently, for the last few years, been DPing for Stranger Things. So I'm not sure how he got the call from Minari, but he said as soon as he had read it, he instantly jumped at the chance to do something like that. The cinematography in this movie is a big part of why it's so good. It's, it is one of those movies where the cinematography is part of the story because of land. But the music's really good, and the acting's really good, and then the story's really good. So Moving forward, we have the editor was Harry Yoon. Harry Yoon worked on Detroit, the mm-hmm. picture a couple years ago about the 1967 riots in Detroit with John Boyega, and I think Anthony Mackie was in there. He did. He's worked on The Newsroom, Euphoria. The composer was Emile Mossery. The music was extremely noteworthy in this film. It has its own voice. It is prominent and noticeable. It doesn't just sit in the background, but it also fits and creates the tone that you're watching in the movie. It's really, really nice. Really beautiful. Absolutely. And he's worked with A24 before he did the score for Last Black Man in San Francisco. Right. Yeah, I saw that. A lot of these A24 films pass around team members and it's funny because a24 isn't even really a production company their distribution but a lot of these names are familiar it's all about connections baby that's why nobody listens to our podcast one day (laughs) (laughs) we have no connections the casting is also worth shouting out casting was done by julia kim who also worked on last black man in san francisco i mean thinking about the younger kids plucked out of thousands maybe not thousands hundreds of applicants and especially the boy Alan Kim, he's the heart and soul of the film in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. He was originally supposed to be even more of a focus because he is the analog for 
Lee Isaac Chung. He's Lee Isaac Chung. Yeah, that makes sense. Speaking of A24, one of the films this made me think of the most was The Farewell from 2019, which is one of my favorites. And this film shares several team members with The Farewell. The production designer, Yang Oak Lee, the art director, W. Haley Ho, and the set director, or set decoration lead, Han Rui Wang. And anyone who hasn't seen The Farewell yet, after you watch Minari, if, if you just feel inspired to watch that, you should definitely watch The Farewell, because it's so freaking good. Moving forward, and then there's the cast, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. The most recognizable talent for American audiences is definitely going to be Stephen Ewan, who got his start in The Walking Dead. He's also a son of Korean immigrants, but he was born in Seoul as opposed to America. And then they came to Canada where he lived, I think, until he was five. And then they lived in Michigan. So similar story. Like I said, he blew up with The Walking Dead where he was on there as a main cast member for a long time. And then in the last few years, he's been doing a lot of indie pictures and smaller pictures, establishing his own brand as a as an actor, not a character actor, but a leading man. And I think Minari is just going to turn him into that sensation. Everyone's going to be thinking about this guy. But the rest of the cast is incredible too. There are several actresses in the film that are very popular in Korea. They're very prolific. Yuri Han, who plays his wife, Monica. And then the mother, Yeon Yoo Jung. Not a real grandma. David is constantly remarking on how she's not a real grandma. She doesn't cook. She's very sarcastic and her humor. Yeah, she loves sitting on the floor watching wrestling. One thing that should be noted is this is also a period piece film. It, it took place like in the... It was in the 80s. 80s, yeah, in the 80s. So those are the three leads, technically, not including the kids, which are Alan Kim as David and the older sister, Noelle Cho. Both of those kids, I don't think, really had done any acting. Yeah, they both killed it. That's the cast and crew. Oh, and also there's Will Patton. Mm, very true. With a very memorable performance as Paul. So strange. I've never seen Will Patton do such a character, but he played a guy who is a Korean war vet, and he comes to work for Jacob, Stephen Yoon's character, as a farmhand, essentially, to help him plant his crop. He's kind of eccentric. On top of that, he is a practicing, charismatic, evangelical Christian Yeah, so much so that he will spend Sundays... Extremely charismatic. He will spend his Sundays carrying a cross down the road. Instead of going to church. Which is, there's an interesting... There's something to talk about there, for sure. Yeah, they don't really explore it too much, but it's my first thought was he's making up, doing penance maybe for his time in the Korean War. Mm, That's a good thought. Let me talk about (laughs) what Minari is nominated for. It's nominated for six Academy Awards... Best Picture. The executive producer's name is Christina Oh. I don't know if you said that already. Best Actor for Steven Yoon. Uh, Best Supporting Actress for Yeon Ye Jung. She played Sunya, the grandmother. And then Best Original Score for Emile Mosseri. Best Director for Lee Isaac Chung. And Best Original Screenplay, which he could probably win, to be honest. Yeah, he's definitely shooing for one of those, I think. I would have given Lead Actress as well to Yuri Han. Or Best Supporting Actor to the Kid. Alan Kim. Alan Kim. He won some sort of award. I think it was like a People's Choice or something. He was on the Zoom call and receiving it, and he started crying. It was super cute. He's just the best. Yeah, he's adorable. (laughs) And he was hilarious in this movie. I felt bad for him almost the whole time. Anyway, so let's talk about the premise. What is Minari about? It is the actual story of the American dream. 
the American dream really is the immigrant's dream. It's essentially to to set down your roots and to be independent and to be successful. To have land, to work the land, to have freedom, to practice that freedom. And that is integral to Jacob's character. Anyway, they moved to Arkansas, Middle America, to pursue that dream, which puts his marriage on the rocks. He's trying to do what's best for his family. He's trying to provide for his family while also pursuing working the land, which really brings him life. He said he loves working on the land. So he starts a farm, and because of his marriage not doing so well, he kind of caves in and has his mother-in-law move in with them. And that kind of sparks the rest of the story, how that grandma fits in with the family, the dynamics of the marriage as that plays out, the success of Jacob's venture in farming and selling his crops and trying to accomplish the American dream and satisfy that kind of innate drive that I think every person has that is the head of a household to provide for their family. That plays into his marriage and and putting either his family first or his work first or his kids. It really just sits with this family on this farm as they explore their new life and what that looks like. Part of it is longing for their old life. Part of it is dreaming about what is to come. You know, another part of it is the frustrations and anxieties that come with not being sure about where your finances are going to come from or whether you're going to have water that day. And it's just a beautiful picture of honestly life as a whole. And I don't even think it matters that they're Korean. It just feels like they're struggling alongside the rest of humanity and they have all the same worries that everyone has. And I think that's sort of the point of the movie. Yeah, it's culturally transcendent in that way. Yeah. And listening to Stephen Ewan himself talk about what drew him to the film the most, it was that, that this is not just about a Korean family, this is the story of a family trying to mm-hmm. make it. Beautiful, wonderful Minari. Super good movie. I don't think I could say enough good things about it. The grandma stole the show for me. She's super great. Her chemistry... With David, they have this a really adorable back and forth. But she also plays a really important role. It's interesting, not just considering the importance of religion in the film. There's also an element of like mysticism in this, which makes it fascinating as like this piece of American folklore, like things True. such as the stick, the water stick. The water well, guys, which is an actual thing, by the way. People still do that. But taking that idea and like... Uh, metaphorical representations in the film, you know, things like snakes, things like the Minari itself. There's an interaction two-thirds of the way through the film where, as you said, David has a heart condition. His mother tells him, you can pray, see heaven, and maybe become well. Grandma is very skeptical. She brings David close, and she kind of sleeps with him. She has a medical emergency. That was beautifully done. She she pulls him in close to cuddle with him to to bring peace to this little boy's mind who who she begins to protect and she even questions the parenting of that child. She's like, why would you treat such a beautiful young boy this way? She even calls him strong and he's never been called strong before. She really encourages him to actually start coming into his own as a young man. She almost seems to take his condition away. It's revealed towards the end that he is becoming better. His heart condition is not worsening. The doctor says, whatever you're doing, don't change. This is right after Monica tells Jacob 
basically, I, I can't be married to you anymore. Like we said, when Chung was writing the script, this was sort of David's story. It became more about the family, which makes the focal point Jacob and his marriage with Monica. So the whole film, they're arguing about the life choice that they've made. <laughs> Because this is Jacob's dream to have a farm and be self-sustainable and accomplish something and sees that American dream, that elusive idea. And Monica sees how it's kind of not working out. And so they have a very contentious relationship. Sometimes it's tender, but it's usually a lot of arguing. The grandma, in many ways, is sort of a catalyst for bringing the family closer together. And it is through an accident that she causes at the end of the film the family is able to come together again on the brink of absolute collapse because Monica's decided it's better for the family for her to leave and take the kids to California. The grandma is the one that also plants the herb Minari in the creek. And then by the end of the film, after she's enabled to go back out to the creek herself, and after Jacob has basically lost all of his crops due to a fire that burned down the shed that had all the crops in it, he goes to collect the Minari, and he makes this statement. He says something to the effect of, it's actually doing quite well. It's growing on its own now. Yeah, it's flourishing. And then he starts to pick the Minari and put it in the basket, and David's right there with him. And I think that was a metaphor for the position of the family toward the end of the film. Even after everything seemed lost and the parents seemed like they're about to get a divorce and the kids were even talking about like, who are you going to live with if mom and dad split up? And David being like, what, like seven or eight years old is like, I don't know. You could talk about for ages about loss of innocence, what it means to retain that innocence, you know. And But anyway, Minari essentially became the symbol of hope and the position of the family. On our planet, movie. it means hope. <laughs> Which brings us to the ending, kind of like The Sound of Metal. Minari ends a little bit abruptly in the sense that it's uncertain for the family, even though they've become closer. Whatever the farm might look like in the future is uncertain, but it is hopeful. I just thought it was beautiful how Minari and the grandma planted the symbolism and the metaphor. How well the Minari did was also how well the family was doing. You know, it was... Like I said, it was a metaphor for continuing to prosper with these choices and all of the events that had transpired that they were all so unsure about throughout the whole film. Yeah. I thought that was a really beautiful thing. And by extension, too, you know, all the families that are represented by this family in this film, I think. Because like we said, this is the story of America, really. You know, despite all this jargon and this nonsense about <laughs> in, in recent times, whatever America means you know, and its cultural identity. Mm -hmm. So many think that it's, I mean, if you think about <laughs> the previous presidential administration, it was this idea that it is, this is a white people's country. But this country from its inception has always been an immigrant's place of refuge. Yeah, they talked about how like, what, like 30 to 35,000 Koreans immigrate every year to America. And that was then, <laughs> which <Yeah. laughs> is crazy for the time. And I don't, I don't even think Koreans, I'm not sure, would, would represent like the larger on a nationwide immigrants coming in. I don't even think the Korean inflows is greater yeah. as other cultures, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I mean, even thinking about like a Mexican immigration, you know, all these families that are just pouring in and they're doing their same thing. They're just trying to get by. <laughs> right. Mm. So... We said this film was made on a very small budget of $2 million. It was also an incredibly rushed production. I think Sound of Metal was too. It's It was like a 25-day shoot. Oh, my gosh. Um, 
and they shot all of the creek scenes where the Minari was growing, which is sort of an integral part, or rather it is an integral part of the film. They shot all the creek scenes in a single day. And if you think about uh, hours you can shoot with kids, it's like you can use them six hours a day. So an incredibly tight little efficient production. Huge props to Chung and his team to pull that off. And also Alan Kim for just being on it the yeah, whole time. on the ball. This yeah. guy, this kid's seven years old and he's killing it. They only had one take to do that exterior scene where the fire is taking the shed. So they had to nail that in one shot. Just amazing. It's really interesting to hear when I was watching the interview between Bong Joon-ho and Lee Isaac Chung, sort of going back and forth about elements of filmmaking and cinematic elements. And Bong, Bong Joon-ho brought up something that I didn't even really consider watching this the other day, is the importance of nature and natural elements as cinematic elements. And not just talking about the land, but specifically like water and fire mm-hmm. in this film. You know, water because this is a movie about this family trying to make it on a farm is such a huge part of the movie, you know, figuratively and literally. Mm-hmm. And also the fire at the end with the fire sort of consuming the shed and being this destructive force that brings them all together in the end. It's really interesting to see that both from a narrative point of view and like a sense of spectacle. I just think of Bong Joon-ho's own parasite where there's this massive event. I think it's halfway through the film or two thirds of the way through the film where there's a flood and it's just an incredibly memorable moment in that movie. So it's funny what they can do on such a small amount of funding in such a small amount of time. And I don't even know if Lee Isaac Chung is, was fully tapped into what he was doing when he was making this film because it's such a small, intimate character drama. But watching it and then listening to the way Bong Joon-ho talked about it to him, it was like, what you're doing is, is incredible, uh, that you're able to be tapped into this emotion I don't know. It's just amazing that all these moments, all these memories were were literally plucked from Chung's own childhood. So I'm really excited to see what he does moving forward. It just goes to show how many stories there are to tell from these, not just smaller directors, but what you would call minority representation, like Lulu Wang, Mm. for instance, with The Farewell a couple years ago. It's just amazing stories that are just begging to be told in cinema. So it's I'm so excited that these films are starting to circulate more and more. Yeah, I agree. Even though this isn't even really Korean melodrama, which if you remember early on, I was always I was excited to talk about Parasite because I love the genre. Yeah, I remember. Th- there are elements of that in this where there's such an amazing level of performance mm-hmm. and direction, mm-hmm. such a nuance in these characters. And there are moments too, just in the filmmaking process where. Lee Isaac Chung will hang on Stephen Ewan's face for what seemed like a minute. For instance, at the end of that scene where they've just figured out from a doctor's visit that David's getting better. And also in this moment towards the end of the film, the character of Jacob has finally made a successful sale and his hope for the farm to be profitable might be taking off. But there's this incredibly intense scene where Monica says... This moment is things are working out, but I'm still concerned for the future. And the devastation for her announcing her possibly leaving on Stephen Ewan's face is just incredible. And he's not even, I would call him an American actor, but just this whole thing, this whole project as a whole, to me, just bleeds the brilliance of international, mm-hmm. specifically Korean cinema. Mm-hmm. You know, in every part of it, we talked about this is, you know, the performance and it's the directing and it's the... It's the story, it's the music, it's the cinematography, even though the whole crew isn't Korean. It's just, 
it's it's amazing. And I hope not only it'll win, but I hope it'll inspire other people to watch it. Yes, I was going to ask. Do you think it'll win Best Picture? Yeah, I think so, actually. <laughs> because <laughs> there are some other great films on the list, but I don't. I think not only is it amazing in its own right, but I think it has what it takes to win an Academy Award. Yes. Whatever that means, because there's a certain type of film that the Academy will, that you can play for. It feels like an Oscar darling, as they say. Yeah. And to do that and to also tell an amazing and a small, intimate story like this, you know, it's not this grand spectacle drama. It's not the King's Speech. You know, this is a very intimate, small scale story, very modest and very reserved. But I think he can do it. Again, not that the award means very much for what, you know, a good movie is, because so many good movies are not recognized by these people every year. But I think it could, and I think it will take the uh, take the prize. Yeah, and if it doesn't, it should. The only thing that I could see beating it is if people vote something else above it because of... The way the stupid algorithm works? I was going to say whiteness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, people voting Mank because of the off of Hollywood, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I forgot Mank's in there. <laughs> Maybe. Mank could take it. I really do think it's going to come down between Minari, Mank, and uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. I think it will be one of those three. Again, we have not seen The Father yet, but I just for some reason don't think that's going to contend as well. I'm really curious to see how the actor category yeah. turns out. Because you have Riz, Steven Yeun, uh, Chadwick Boseman's in there, right? Ooh, I forgot. Yeah. And then you have the, the shadow of Anthony Hopkins looming over the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a tough that's a tough one. Yeah. I think Riz Ahmed probably I mean Chadwick did great, Steven Yeun did amazing, but but I think Riz Ahmed definitely took the cake or whatever the saying is. Again, I wish we got more recognition for the rest of the cast too. I think Yuri Han as Monica was such an amazing performance. Yeah. But she doesn't, you know, have the recognition. The supporting actress for the grandma is incredible. She was amazing. Yeah. Thank you, Lee Isaac Chung for sharing your your life with us and uh yes thank you lee for being here today i was happy to hear that he when he showed his parents this film they were like he said their response was this sort of emotional like they they were like you you get it you understand us his words he chose were you see us because now he's in this point in his life where he has his own family and he's trying to make those decisions so right yeah to see that kind of parallels is always interesting beautiful beautiful film wonderful wonderful Minotti. Yeah, go watch The Farewell. Do it. What do you think of Eraserhead? It's so good. I just watched Eraserhead. We're both self-proclaimed David Lynch fanboys, even though we haven't even seen half his films. <laughs> Twin Peaks is basically the David Lynch course. I'm still, years later, digesting Twin Peaks. I, I feel like I'm still unprepared to watch anything else from David Lynch. You watched it a second time through, though, right? I've seen Twin Peaks all the way through twice, and then The Return twice as well, yeah. I have yet to do a rewatch, but I I remember everything vividly. (laughs) And I've seen the eighth episode more than once, because I have to revisit that every once in a while. 